Last week, you got the double-barrel shotgun of election, which was basically divine sovereignty. This week, you get the counterbalance of human responsibility from Romans 10. Okay, so this is going to bring you in a little bit. Please turn to Romans 9.30. Romans 9.30. Now, let's pray. Lord, would you please open your word to us? Would you speak to us through your word? Help us, Lord, to understand it in all its profundity. And Lord, we pray that you would bring us on to maturity, that we would be stable, solid, rock-solid Christians. And that, Lord, we would see great things in your word. Help me anoint these lips of clay to preach. And Lord, we pray that you would anoint each and every person to hear unto your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, And seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The word of God. Well, a few years back, I had to go to Concord, New Hampshire, early in the morning to take a continuing education class. And I didn't know where I was going, so I put on the GPS, put in the address, and I drove to Concord, New Hampshire. I was going to this big, beautiful new hotel where the conference was taking place. And it was a beautiful drive. I had my Christian music and my preachers, and there I was just following along. And when I got to my destination, I looked up, and there I was on a dead-end road, and there was a dilapidated barn in front of me. And I said, I don't think that this is the hotel. <laughs> Although the GPS said, hey, this is the address, man. And I can only imagine if there was a New England farmer there who came out and gave me proper directions, he would have said, you can't get there from here. When you don't know where you're going, any road will do. But if you're trying to get to heaven, there's only one way. Many people believe in God, but few believe that Jesus Christ is God. Many people want to get to heaven when they die, but most believe any road will do. The road of their own imagination is perfectly fine, in their opinion. We live in a culture where even the most basic distinctions will not be made for fear of offending someone. You go on the street and you say to somebody, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. They're going to get mad at you. But do it. Because <laughs> you need to. I can still hear the words of my kid's preschool teacher intoned when anyone in class did anything, even if it was miserable. If there was an art project and you spit on the paper, or if you're at T-ball and you got like 19 different tries and you couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a bass fiddle, she would say, good job, good job. Everything was a Good job. You know, it doesn't work that way with theology. People aren't going to say, oh, well, you tried your best, and even though you, you, know, you had some zeal, but you were completely off, you're completely unbiblical, no one's going to say to you, good job. They're going to say words you don't want to hear. H.G. Wells said this, If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. People live like there is no God 
and to them, nothing matters. But there is a God, and nothing else really matters. We're dancing on this earth for a very short time. And we will face God, won't we? Every one of us. Jesus says this, you've heard it before, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus. No one. Doesn't matter how sincere you are, doesn't no matter how much you did for the church or you did for Jesus or for the poor or how good you were, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. We're fond of quoting John 3.16, but we're not fond of quoting John 3.18, where it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If your loved one right now does not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, your loved one is condemned already. That's it. Now, could it be that they come to faith before they die? Yes. And if they do, they will be saved. But at this moment, they're condemned already. And people need to know that. People need to know that, don't they? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? You know, no one says you're going to wake up tomorrow. As the old song said from the 70s, you could wake up dead. If you were to conduct a poll and ask people, how do you get into heaven? You'd probably hear mostly, by being a good person. There might be slight variations, but sincerely trying to do your best. Or by being moral, being religious, by doing good works and helping the poor. And the funny thing is, you could go to any of the world's religions, false religions, and get the same answer. Some people in Nepal do the craziest things because they think that God desires them and they think that they'll get to heaven that way. Buddhists take vows of poverty and are devoted to hours of prayers and rituals every day if they're monks. Muslims believe the same thing. They must say the creed and the prescribed prayers five times a day, give alms, observe the fast of Ramadan, make a pilgrimage to Mecca, and perform other rituals in order to go to heaven. Cults! are based on the same principle. The way to heaven is through good works. This may require knocking on doors to share your faith, going on a two-year mission, tithing your money, abstaining from certain foods and drinks and other duties. But such an approach to God is unavailing it gets you nowhere. Many think that they can earn their way in. 
Martin Luther was an example. He gave up his career in being a lawyer to become a monk, and he worked harder than anyone. He was more devoted than anyone until he almost went crazy and then learned that justification is by faith. What a tragedy it would be to devote your entire life to diligent efforts, even so-called spiritual diligent efforts, and only to die and face God's judgment. You spent your entire life in religious discipline, denying yourself the common pleasures that other people may enjoy. You tried to be a good person. You gave up sex. You didn't look at anything you shouldn't have looked at. You were as perfect a person as you could be, but still, you trusted in your own works and were consigned to hell. Let me tell you a story. Maybe this will illustrate it to you. Imagine a dear little woman who attended a mainline Protestant church. Small town. She read the Bible. She helped in the nursery. She helped with children's ministries. She worked in the kitchen during socials. She served in ladies' aid, which used to be a missionary society. Everyone said, she's the sweetest person I've ever met. Well, she was married to a mean old man who had no time for religion. He says, that church is full of hypocrites. Do-gooders. So instead of going to church on Sunday, he went to the Elks Club and exercised his elbow, drinking beer with his friends and telling funny stories, then watching a football game in the afternoon. Although his wife invited him to church many times and he was mad that she went, he said, you know what, it's good that she goes so I can do whatever I want on Sunday, including but not limited to fishing, which was one of his pastimes. And he'd go fishing and he'd also exercise his elbow having some beers. If you were to ask her, what basis do you hope to get into heaven? She would say, what? Well, I'm doing, I'm serving God. I'm doing all these things. I'm serving. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm serving God. Then her husband got sick. And like most tough old geezers, he refused to go to the doctor. Finally, he went to the doctor and he got an appointment and the doctor gave him some bad news. You've got stage four cancer. 
If you come in a few years ago, we might have gotten to it, but there's not much that we can do now. You might have a few months to live. He goes downhill fast, so they arrange hospice for him. And one day, a hospice worker whom he liked was able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. She tells him all about the gospel. And you know what? She gave him a little book. It was the book of John. And he devoured it. And he came to put his faith in Jesus and repent of his sins. And a few weeks later, he died and he went to heaven. Now, she would never say it, but she was secretly leaved that he was gone. He was such a hard man to live with. She wouldn't have told anybody that. He was always so difficult. She continues with all her religious service through the church. A few years later, she dies. She goes to hell because this nice, sweet old lady was trusting in her own righteousness. She had never trusted in Christ as the perfect righteousness. The righteousness that God gives as a gift. She trusted in her own performance. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? Are you tracking with me? It's the most common misconception about the most important issue there is. There's no issue more important. How does the person receive eternal life and get to heaven? You don't want to be wrong on this one. I don't want you to be wrong on this one. That's why you got me. I'm here to help you not be wrong on this one. You hear what I'm saying? If I didn't have a minister, I'd go out and get one real quick. I don't know about you, right? We got doctors, we got lawyers, we got accountants, we got all these professionals in our lives and most people don't have a minister. I don't know about you, I think, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but I, uh, if I didn't have a minister, I'd go get one. If I wasn't in a church, I'd go get one, right? I mean, you think you can get to church, to, to heaven without a church? Billy Sunday said, yeah, you can get to Europe without a boat, but there's sharks waiting for those people. Paul is saying something. Is it okay if I walk around? Is that, is that okay? You tell me. No? Oh, it's not. Okay. I can't walk around. 
You'll have to use your imagination. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that there was a rock in the road. And guess what? That rock is still in the road. It's a big rock. It's a big, heavy rock. And people are all walking on the same road. And some trip over the rock. And some embrace the rock, trust the rock, love the rock. The Jews were trying to achieve. They didn't believe in Jesus. You don't get there by achieving, you get there by believing. And you don't get there by believing in just anything or whatever you want to believe. You get there by believing in Jesus Christ, the rock. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you will trip over the rock. And when you trip over that rock, you will fall to your destruction. But if you trust that rock, if you trust that rock, He will do everything. He'll move heaven and earth to bring you home and be with Him. Because you trust Him and His righteousness, not your own. If you said to me, Pastor David, I have no righteousness. I don't. Not anything that's worthy of anything. I need righteousness. How do I get righteousness? You get it by trusting the rock. He'll give you that righteousness. His perfect righteousness. And that's the only righteousness that works. So the Jews to this day have still falling over the rock. They trip and fell over the rock to their own peril. But the Christians, true Christians, trust the rock. And the other thing about it is this. Beloved, most of us weren't even looking for salvation. The Gentiles, he says, they weren't looking for salvation. The Jews were. And they tried so hard. They made up laws so they could keep the law. Because they thought that Law-keeping would bring them to heaven. But they couldn't keep the law. And nobody can keep the law. Right? And so the Gentiles were just walking around. Look at me. In 1979, I was fat, dumb, and happy. Actually, I wasn't fat. I was dumb and happy. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I had... I didn't know anything about Jesus. I went to church, but I was bulletproof. I didn't hear anything. Everything just bounced off me. I didn't know what they were talking about. It was all gibberish to me. I, yeah, I took, you know, communion, whatever. I never became an altar boy. Nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. But in 1979, a friend says to me, you know, uh, I got saved. What? I'm born again. What? I was just minding my own business. And many of us were just minding our own business. 
when somebody said something to us or invited us somewhere or gave us something to read or some difficult circumstances came into our life and they gave us a a pathway out and we weren't even looking for it but then it happened that that just continued to blossom and grow and at one point in time we came to trust Christ in him alone for our salvation and we continue to trust him each and every day right it's not a one time deal some people say well I said the sinner's prayer 30 years ago well where you been since what about today what are you doing today well, I don't go to church. There's too many hypocrites there. The benches are too hard. Pastor's too weird. <laughs> that won't work for you, will it? No. So Israel started a journey, a quest, but they were trying to achieve rather than believe. And guess what? If you reject Christ, you will be rejected. Right? It's that simple. Romans 10 presents the other side of the coin, human responsibility. God is sovereign, yes, but you are responsible. You are responsible. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Accept him? Receive him? Or reject him? What will you do? And he talks about this, that there are many, many people who are zealous in religion. There are people that would make any one of us here look silly because they're so zealous for religion. You know, those people that would be in the church day and night and doing all these things and running around like crazy people, serving God or sacrificing all their funds or whatever, so zealous. Remember, Paul was zealous. He was so zealous that he was killing Christians because he thought that's what he should be doing because they were an offense to Judaism. It's possible to be zealous. It's possible to be sincere but to be sincerely wrong and to be zealous but not zealous as to truth. That's why the truth is so important. We live in an age where truth is relative. You can believe whatever you want. It's like a buffet. It's like going to Golden Corral. Take what you want. Take some of this truth. Don't take any of that truth. Don't eat the macaroni salad. You don't know when that was made. Or the seafood salad. You could have dysentery tomorrow, for goodness sake. Take a little truth. Reject a little truth. Make your own truth. Make your own plate of truth up. That's not how it works. And zealous people and sincere people may be sincerely and zealously wrong. And they'll end up in the same fate, hell. That's why our zeal must be informed by truth. That's why we're talking about these things. Amen? The Jews 
were zealous, but they weren't zealous for Christ. Their zeal wasn't based on knowledge. And that didn't get them anywhere. They tripped over the rock. Right in the road. Big rock. People are still tripping over it. People are tripping over it, and they don't even care that they fell on it until it's too late. It's easy for zealous people to want a stairway to heaven. They're trying to earn their way, claw their way. They think that religion is a ladder. You just elevate yourself by climbing the ladder. You know, one of the old hymns says, I'm climbing Jacob's ladder. They meant something a little different. But for the worldly person, the stairway to heaven is, I'll get there through a DIY. I'll get there to do it myself. I can do it all by myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. So we live in a day where religious passion is no longer informed by truth, and it's dangerous. And people, you say, oh, yeah, somebody comes in the church, and, you know, they're great, and they're so moral. And you think, and they're really, they're kind of happy that they're moral. They're very proud of their morality. Those are the hardest people to get saved. Why? Because they're trusting in their own righteousness. They're not really sure that they don't have any righteousness that's worthy of being trusted. Not a one of us has any righteousness of our own that is any better than filthy rags. You know what filthy rags means? Yeah, that's what it means. We must approach God through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Not Jesus Christ and something else. We make that mistake. We add something to Jesus. I'll trust Jesus and this. Jesus and my works. Jesus and my church service. Jesus and my whatever. My heritage. My mom, she built this church, you know. Good for you. There's a stained glass window with her name on it. That's great. But that stained glass window ain't going to save you. Sure is pretty, though. Uh, <laughs> and people have a way of complicating salvation. But it ain't that complicated. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing is believing who he is. And I think some of your evangelistic efforts, some of our evangelistic efforts are a little too hurried. People cannot believe in Jesus until they know who Jesus is. That's why in my illustration, that guy reading the book of John was very serendipitous, quite providential, that he would read the book of John and learn that Jesus is God. See Jesus. Understand who he is. We're asking people to believe in Jesus before they even know who Jesus is. Does that make any sense? 
I would focus my efforts on let's talk about who Jesus is first. And so he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the deep. He's saying you don't have to go to heaven to, first, you know, to understand who Jesus is. You don't have to die to understand who Jesus is. He's near. He's near. Many people miss the point. But in simple terms, believing Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Adonai. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. Amen? Amen? And knowing who he is and then confessing that with your mouth. Why? Because if you don't sit on the chair, beloved, you don't believe that chair can hold you. Right? Somebody comes and says, what do you think about this chair I just made? Carved it with my own hands. You say, I think it's beautiful. You did a good job. And, uh, right, and everybody, and then you say, well, have a seat. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. I thought you said I did a good job, that you believe in my work. I do, but I'm not sitting in a chair. It might break. You know how much I weigh? If you're a Christian in this morning and you tell no one, and if someone asks you if you're a Christian, you say you're not, that's not good. Because you confess with your mouth. Why? He's in your heart. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't be afraid to confess him as Lord. We're doing it right now. We have it on tape. It's being broadcast. Jesus is Lord, folks. So in your world, profess, confess, and don't be afraid because saving faith is a matter of the heart, isn't it? One of the great ways that we confess our faith is being baptized when we come into it. Amen? Amen? It's public. It's a public thing. We're baptized. And any unbeliever that I've ever seen in my entire life that watched a baptism marveled at it. They just look at it and go, what is this? But you see what's happening? You're confessing your faith by being baptized, whether it's here or in a lake or wherever. And that's the beginning. It's a heart response, is it not? And the other thing is this. Don't beat yourself up because you might say, well, there are times when I didn't do that. Yeah, and there were times when Peter didn't do that either. When the teenage Jewish girl said, you were with him, weren't you? I never knew the guy. I really And what did Jesus do? He forgave him. And who delivered the first sermon of the Christian church? Peter. So God can restore you, forgive you. Amen? So don't go fishing and forgiving things, right? A lot of people want to go, 
You're fishing in the filthy river. You can't take any good fish out of there. Forget what's behind and set your mind, right? Now, here's the thing. Remember last week we said a lot about election? <gasps> People were scared. But he says this, and he ends the passage with it. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone. No distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, hello, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let's drop into a little theology so maybe you can understand this. Um, and this is important. Never think that you should try to determine who's chosen and who's not. That's God's province. It's not yours. Don't get fooled by someone who is terrible because sometimes those people are more easily converted than the ones who are nice and nice. Okay? So forget that. The gospel is for everyone. And we call that the general call. That is, he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is making the call to everyone. And we are to do the same. Right? We call everyone that steps in our path. And we don't make any distinctions. That's called the general call. And you might say, well, uh, why am I calling someone who's not elect? How do you know he's not elect? The only way you know is when he gets saved. He's elect. <laughs> and even if he rejects it, you can't say he's not elect because it might be the 17th time that he's called that he comes. That was my case. First, I wasn't looking for anything. Second, people called me daily. The guy I worked with, I told you the story, you know, daily called me out, told me I was going to hell. You need Jesus. And I'm like, no thanks. Until, I don't know how many times it was, and I felt like a ton of bricks. I knew that my heart was regenerated through reading the word privately in the bathroom downstairs, if you want to know. I would do two things in the bathroom downstairs. One, I would read a good news Bible that I was given. Two, I would play the guitar. My parents thought I was nuts. He's in their bathroom, he's either reading the, reading the Bible or playing the guitar. One of two things. My parents bought me a guitar at Sears and Started to learn how to play it. So anyway. Then there's the effectual call. You've got the general call. The effectual call is the one that brings home the ball. That call that someone receives and they truly come to Christ. And guess what? Guess who's involved in that effectual call? The Spirit of the living Christ. 
He works on that heart. He regenerates that heart so that person receives the call and comes. The person may not be like in any crisis, but they come. And all of us who are Christians received that effectual call at some point where we actually came. First we received a general call, then we got the effectual call. And that grace comes through the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting that Romans 10.13 is cited in Joel 2.32 and is also in the same sermon of Peter, the first sermon of the Christian church. And so the gospel, my friends, is for everyone. How much time do I get? I get a little more. What do you mean, how much time do I get? No. Um, I love this. Listen to this. Matthew, right? Matthew's a tax collector. And he's around, and um, he sees and hears the teaching of Jesus and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know. He's a tax collector. He's a reprehensible individual. He's basically cashing in his own people and stealing from them for Rome. He's a turncoat. And get this. This is what it says. Scripture sometimes is so understated, you have to be very careful when you read it. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, the call. And he rose and followed him. He probably received that call 26 times. But on that occasion, and he didn't say, well, let's talk about this, let's debate it. He rose and followed him. What's the difference? It was the effectual call. The grace of God. Jesus said it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Who then can be saved? With men it's impossible. With God all things are possible. As we close, remember the story recorded in Luke 2 where Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. They left their kid behind. And went a day's journey. And they didn't even know he was in the caravan. He wasn't. He was in the temple talking theology with the priests. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And after three days, they found him. 
Can you imagine having a 12-year-old and, you know, you're going to travel all the way. What's a day's journey at 60 miles an hour? I don't know. Probably get you to Ohio or something or something like that. I don't know. You, you get to Illinois and you look back in the station wagon and one of your kids is not there. You forgot them. We used to actually count our kids. We go somewhere. We look back and you got all four? Yeah, one, two, yeah, three, four, four kids, yep. And then when they are older, we made them do a you know round, you know, Matthew, Megan, Marissa, Michael, here, here, present, here, you know, that kind of thing. But here's Jesus. And you know what, folks? There are churches that left Jesus behind. Jesus isn't even there. And they don't even know it. He's not even in their company. There's so many things to distract us today. We can think it's all about us. We can think it's about our pleasure rather than our holiness. And we go to church to feel good, to jump, sing, and do all kinds of weird things. That's not it. That's why I try to impress upon you the fact that you're coming to church not for you. You're coming to church for Him. You have a job to do this morning. You're doing it right now by listening to me. We're doing it together. I'm preaching. You're hearing. I'm hearing too, right? It's like we're worshiping. We're, we're praying. We're giving. This is what we do. It's called the liturgy, the work of the people. We came to church this morning to honor God. That's why we came to church. And if we are educated, exhorted, and encouraged by coming to church, praise God. We get that as an extra. But our primary motive is to come for Him who died for us. Amen? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I met a guy this week and he, he's not happy with his church and all that stuff. And I said, where are you going now? And he's not. I said, you think that's a problem? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Forget about the problem with your church. God will figure that out. He'll straighten that out. And you're not going to go there again because you don't trust that church, you don't trust the minister and all that. But you need to find a church. Come here if you'd like. He lives a little ways away. But go somewhere. You need to come to church. You need to seek Christ together with the people of God. He says this, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. How many people are offended by Christ? Many, many. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I love it. It doesn't even give you the adversative. It doesn't say but. It says and. Yeah. He's a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him, whoever doesn't trip over him, will never be put to shame. You know what the shame is? The shame is the shame 
that someone experiences when they're found guilty. Right? Can you imagine you standing up and you're, you're, you're trembling, right? And you're in a courtroom and everybody's there. The jury's there. The judge is there. The police are there. The ADA's there. The, you know, the defense counsel. We, the jury, above entitled action, find the defendant. Fit in your name. Guilty. Can you imagine the shame? It says you'll never be put to shame believing in him. Amen? Never. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You are the rock of ages. You are the Lord. And you have opened our eyes. And Father, we are ones that want to serve you forever, not to earn, not to achieve, but because we believe. And because we believe, we can't help but doing what we're doing as a natural outcropping of the belief that is in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.